In a boarding house in Lower Manhattan, Julielma Sands is preparing for a night out. It's December 22nd, 1799, and Julielma, Elma to her friends, is meeting her partner Levi Weeks later that evening. At 8 o'clock, just as she heads out into the snow, she passes her cousin Catherine and informs her that tonight, her and Levi are to be married. Hours go by, and Levi returns to the boarding house, alone. He denies knowing the whereabouts of Elma, and is surprised to learn that she's even out so late. Two days later, and still no word. Yet, a familiar women's winter muff is found by some local boys in the Manhattan Well on Greenwich Street. Locals swear it was the same muff Elma wore before she disappeared. But it's not until the new year, January 2nd, 1800 to be exact, that the well is searched and a body is found. Julielma Sands's body. What followed was the first sensationalized murder trial in the young American Republic. It's only been 12 years since the Constitution was ratified, and her trial became the first written transcript of a murder trial in our history, with a legal dream team for any Broadway fan. Today, on Claremont True Crime, we're looking at the Manhattan Well murder. So who was Julielma Sands? Well, as with most working class people, especially women from the time, the records are scarce. She was 22 years old and a fresh arrival to the busy city of New York. According to the court documents, Elma took her unmarried mother's name of Sands. Her mother lived nearby in Cornwall, New York, and her father was in Charleston, South Carolina. In Manhattan, Elma lived with her cousin, Catherine, and her husband, Elias King, along with their four children and Catherine's sister, Hope Sands. The Kings, both respected Quakers, and sources conflict if Elma herself was a Quaker, ran the boarding house on Greenwich Street, as well as a successful dry goods operation and millinery shop. In 1799, Greenwich Street, in what is now Greenwich Village, was in the northernmost section of the city, the King's Millinery Shop, an old word for manufacturing hats, employed nearly 20 women, including young Elma. We'll touch on this later, but there is two competing memories of Elma in the ensuing months. The first was remembering her as happy and cheerful. I mean, it was her wedding night after all. The others remember her as melancholy and suicidal. These last thoughts, shared by eyewitnesses, would play an important role in the coming trial. Now, of course, suspicion instantly went to the rumored fiancé or husband, Levi Weeks. He, too, was living at the boarding house with Elma and her cousins. Born in 1776, about two years older than Elma, he worked as a carpenter for his brother, Ezra Weeks, one of the most successful builders in the city. Among his clients were Alexander Hamilton, who hired Ezra to build his estate on Convent Avenue. Levi supervised the construction site. Following the announcement of Elma's murder, public opinion turned against Levi, fueled largely by stories from fellow boarders who knew the couple. Enter the Dream Team. After Weeks is accused, his brother uses his powerful influence in the city to gather a dream team of defense lawyers for the ages. 
For us, the highlight is Henry Brockholst Livingston, the third Lord of Livingston Manor's brother. Joining him are two other men you might have heard of, Aaron Burr and Alexander Hamilton. Livingston was the great-grandson of Robert Livingston, the first Lord, making him the second cousin and contemporary of the Chancellor from Claremont. His father, William Livingston, was a signer of the U.S. Constitution and a governor of New Jersey in the late 1700s. Brockholst served as a lieutenant colonel during the Revolutionary War, notably as an aide-de-camp to Benedict Arnold at Saratoga. Later, he would go on to serve as John Jay's private secretary while minister to Spain. The other two guys, Burr and Hamilton, are of course known as bitter political rivals. Hamilton, remembered as one of the founding fathers of the nation through his work with the U.S. Constitution, has already served as the first U.S. Secretary of the Treasury by the time the trial has started. Burr just ended his time in the U.S. Senate and was gearing up for the 1800 presidential election alongside Thomas Jefferson. Interestingly, Burr was invested heavily in several New York City companies, including as the founder of the Manhattan Company that owned the well where Sands was found. The trial started March 31st, 1800. As Levi Weeks was being escorted into the courtroom, a crowd apparently shouted, Crucify him! Crucify him! The trial had become sensationalized in the newspapers and in public opinion before it even began, and everyone had an opinion. The prosecution's case was largely circumstantial. Witnesses stated they saw Weeks measuring the well days before the murder. Others reported Sands in a sled with two other men that December night, drawn by a horse resembling one owned by Ezra Weeks. Levi's alibi, discussing construction plans with his brother Ezra, was confirmed by him and others present. In total, 75 witnesses were called to the stand by both sides. There was even medical testimony, by a dentist no less, who examined the body. One question on everyone's minds was answered, no, Elma Sands was not pregnant. However, she had scratches and bruises on her body consistent with a struggle. The defense team argued for suicide. Remember earlier when I mentioned the conflicting views of Elma after her death? Livingston, Hamilton, and Burr focused on stories of a melancholic Sands who spoke of killing herself. They even went as far as to tarnish her name with accusations of infidelity with Elias King, her cousin's husband. The trial lasted only two days. In fact, in 1800, it was uncommon for criminal trials to go beyond one. But they certainly made the most of their days. Court was in session for 15 hours the first day, until at 1 a.m. the jurors requested an adjournment to sleep, and they all slept in City Hall that night. The next day, rather ironically April 1st, didn't end until 2.25 the following morning. So, the verdict. Weeks was acquitted after only five minutes of jury deliberation. The official transcript states, quote, The court were unanimously of the opinion that the proof was insufficient to warrant a verdict against him 
and that was with this general charge, they committed the prisoner's case to their consideration. There you have it. Levi walks. However, public outcry over the decision forced him out of New York, and he eventually settled in Natchez, Mississippi. Sadly, to this day, we'll never know the truth to what happened to Elma Sands in December 1799. No doubt, the murder continues to capture the public imagination for generations, producing several books long past the Civil War, a Vanity Fair article in the 1920s, and of course, a mention in the Hamilton musical song, Nonstop. As for the Dream Team, Aaron Burr unsuccessfully ran for president and became Jefferson's vice president in 1801. Three years later, he famously kills trial partner Alexander Hamilton in a duel. Despite his relative obscurity out of the three, Henry Brockholst Livingston led the most prosperous life after the trial. In the years to come, he's nominated by Thomas Jefferson to serve on the U.S. Supreme Court, where he serves for nearly two decades until his death in 1823. Unfortunately, this was not enough for even a mention in the Hamilton musical. During the Civil War, sights and sounds were reported to be coming from the Manhattan Well. Accounts of shrieks and lights in the sky resembling a figure appeared. That, however, was no deterrent for the current owners of the well, still standing in the basement of 129 Spring Street, from turning the site into a trendy Soho clothing store, complete with mannequins tastelessly in front of the 18th century well, the site of unknown horrors to fast fashion buyers. Thanks for joining us on Claremont True Crime.